All right. Well, good morning, church. Again. Uh, it's good to be here, and I'm glad uh, that all of you are here today. I know a lot of us have been traveling this summer. I know I was gone last week, and um, if you were here last week and I wasn't, I'm glad you're back today. Uh, glad to have you with us as we continue to think about what it looks like for us to uh, ask and answer this question, where is Jesus calling us to make a move in our lives? I want to start with a story. You may have seen this. This, this, made, uh, this made national news, but if you didn't, I want to go ahead and, and share it with you, especially those of you who have young kids. Build-A-Bear recently ran a promotion, maybe you saw this, where you could pay your age for a bear. Now, if you're a parent, if you've ever ever gone to Build-A-Bear, you know this is a big deal because those bears, uh, they start around $16, but then uh, they get pretty expensive the the higher you you go. And of course, they've got different models you can buy. It's basically you walk in, there's a lifeless carcass of an animal there, and they will stuff it to your heart's content, and then you can accessorize it as much as you would like for as much money as you would like to spend. Well, what they didn't anticipate is what would happen next. They made the announcement, we're going to do this pay your age thing. Whatever, however old you are, you can buy the bear for that amount of money. Parents came out like you wouldn't believe. In fact, around malls across America, they were wrapped around this, the mall several times. Some lines going outside. You'll see pictures behind me. And parents were waiting. They were saying that the wait for some people would be up to six to eight hours. Now, again, these like start at $16. So would I be one? No, no. But parents were doing this. They were lining up for days in order to get this, uh, this bear, this, this kind of price. I mean, if you had a one-year-old, it's a good deal, right? It's a, it's a, it's a steal of a deal. Well, pretty, pretty quickly they realized there's no way we're going to be able to hold up to this promise. In fact, local law enforcement is coming out, and they're nervous because of the crowds and because of the danger involved in all of this. And so they actually had to put this out on Twitter. They had to give an update, and it wasn't going to be a very popular idea. But they posted this on Twitter. Per local authorities, we cannot accept additional guests at our locations due to crowd safety concerns. We have closed lines in our stores, and we understand some guests are disappointed, and we will reach out directly as soon as possible. Well, as soon as this happened, of course, a lot of people got upset, a lot of people were mad, and they got a lot of bad press all around the country. But, but, one church saw this, and it sparked an idea for them, and they decided it would be a great idea to use the same idea and have a tithe your age Sunday at their church. I mean, you could worship for a bargain if you came on that day. I don't know if they thought people would line up or what. I'm kidding, that was really a joke. But wouldn't that be funny? Uh, Whenever we talk about um, money, especially at church, people start to get anxious. Anxiety starts rising, and people get nervous about the whole conversation. So I want to start today to laugh a little, but also to say, you can breathe. Uh, Riverside is doing just fine. Uh, To the praise of God our Father, he continues to provide for us and take care of us. And it's just amazing to see how God does that over and over again. And, and that happens through your, generous, through your generosity, through your generous gifts. And so if I could just start this way, I'm going to start by saying thank you. Thank you for being, as, as Doug said earlier, people of uncommon generosity. It's amazing to look at the bulletin every week and to see how we have met budget, we've gone over budget. Even in the summer when a lot of churches are slumping, your, your giving continues. So I'm not up here today because anyone asked me to speak about giving or to preach about giving or, or that we have this great need, although apparently we do need a projector on the side, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's not why we're talking about it. We're talking about it because Jesus talked about it. 
We're talking about it because this is one of the moves that Jesus makes over and over again. And I think it's one of the moves that, at least for those of us in the room who have taken seriously that calling on our lives to follow Jesus, for him to, in a sense, be our rabbi and for us to be his disciples, for those of you like me in the room who are trying, earnestly trying, to live by the words of Jesus, those red letters, to read those and to apply those to our lives and live up under his teaching. This is one of those areas that if we're just honest, all of us in the room, we struggle with. How do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, steward our finances and our resources and all that we have around us to the glory of God? I don't know who originally said this. This quote is attributed to a lot of people, but you've probably heard this before. Someone once asked the question, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? But you know how that would happen, right? Every good crime show, every good crime scene investigation movie, they all somewhere in there, the investigators always say this one thing. They always say what? Follow the money. Why? Because when you follow the money, you discover the truth about what's going on in every story. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, the first place they would look, if I was being put on trial for being a Christian, the first place a good investigator would look would be the bank account, the transaction list, the spreadsheet, to see where's the money going. If we follow the money, we'll find the truth about this guy. We'll find out what's really going on. So today, what I want to ask you to do, and let me just say this too as a disclaimer, this is a no guilt Sunday. I'm not, I'm not up here to make you feel guilty about anything. What I am up here today to ask you to do is if you are earnestly seeking to follow Jesus, if you really want to be his disciple, if you're trying to figure out what's that next step in my life to grow my faith and to become more like Jesus, I want you to wrestle with this question because all of us have to wrestle with this question. What happens when you follow your money? What does, what does that money trail reveal about where your hope and confidence and dependence and trust really is? And I want us to look at it through this story. And I think this is one of the most fascinating stories in all of Scripture in Mark 12. If you have your Bible, you can up to, open up to Mark 12. If you have the Bible app, open that up. You can, you can follow us there. Follow along with the message if you want to. Mark 12, we'll start in verse 41. Just to kind of set the scene and the story for you. Jesus is about to go to the cross. So let's keep that in mind the whole time we're talking today. Right around the next corner is the cross for Jesus, where he is going to give his life for the whole world. Jesus has already, like you talked about last week, Brock did a great job. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message that my friend Brock brought to our church about loving God. The greatest command Jesus taught, loving God. Here in the same chapter, Mark 12, the most important thing is to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, everything that is within you, and all of your strength, everything that is without you. So in other words, the call of God is to love God with all you are and all you have, and oh, by the way, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has already taught that. This is what it looks like to love God with all you are, but also with all you have, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus He's, he's, already, he's already cleared the temple of money changers and vendors who were leveraging the worship of God for personal gain and personal profit. He's already cleared the temple of all the thieves and robbers 
or has he? We'll look at that in a moment. And he's also done this. I think this is really interesting. Before this ever happens, Jesus has called his disciples to himself, and he asked them this question. He says, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And if you know the story, it was Peter, one of his closest disciples, that stood up and said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And Peter didn't quite know yet, just like a lot of us don't quite have it figured out yet either. But whenever you make that statement of faith, if you believe that, if you believe what you say you believe about Jesus, it literally changes everything. And all of that is such an incredible lead-in to this moment where Jesus goes back to the temple that he's just cleared, goes back to the place where he, he, he casts out all the money changers and the vendors. And in Mark 12, 41, the story goes like this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. In other words, Jesus just came into worship and sat down for uh, the offering, and he wanted to see what all you guys were given, right? It feels like a little bit of a strange moment, a little bit of an awkward moment. Jesus walks into the temple, and he just sits down near the collection box to see what everybody's giving. Again, he's about to go to the cross. But he stops by the temple this day because he wants to see what everybody is giving. And I'm wondering, why would he do that? Isn't that a bit of a strange decision on this day? knowing what's behind him, knowing what's before him, to just come to the temple just to see what people are giving? You know, what's he looking for? Is he trying to literally see how much people are giving? I know none of you do that when you, you know, pass the basket. You're like, huh, okay. <laughs> yeah, somebody does that. Uh, uh, you know, is he, is he watching for body language? Is he, is he looking for their attitudes? You know, are they, are they giving joyfully? Are they like, how is this going over? What's he watching for? What's Jesus interested in? I wonder if in the back of his mind, if he's not just having this thought, I'm about to go give my life for these people. I wonder what these people are willing to give to God. He's sitting there by the collection box in the temple. And Mark says that many rich people put in large amounts. Jesus is watching this as this happens. These rich religious leaders are, are walking in, and they're giving large amounts of money, but apparently Jesus isn't impressed. In fact, if you back up just a few verses to verse 38, I want you to hear what Jesus says about these people, these rich religious leaders who are putting in large amounts of money. In verse 38, Jesus says this, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head of tables of the banquets. Yet they shamelessly, look at this, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Beware of this. They will be more severely punished. Jesus sits and he watches these people put in these large amounts of money. And I wonder if if these aren't the same people who, the way they got rich, the way they became rich, was by shamelessly cheating widows out of their property. And after he sees this, you know, the next thing he sees, he sees something different. Actually, he sees someone different. The next thing Jesus sees after these rich people have put in their large amounts of money is this, verse 42. Then a poor widow came. And what did she drop in? Two small coins. A poor widow came in. 
and dropped in two small coins. Have you ever seen something? And as soon as you saw it, you like wanted to call time out and get your family and friends over. You're like, you got to watch. you got to see this video. you got to see what I just saw. You got, I want you to see what I just saw. This summer with our family, one of the things we've been doing is watching uh, the, the TV show America's Got Talent. Anybody like that show? Just us. Okay, that's good. Um, anyway, it's it, all kind of strange, bizarre performances. Things happen, but it never fails. If I ever walk out of the room and they see something amazing, they'll pause the TV and the kids will call and say, Dad, get in here. You got to see this. You got to watch this. You got to see what just happened. I think that's what happened for Jesus right here. As soon as he saw this, he called his disciples. He says, you got to come over here. You got to see this. I got to tell you what just happened. And in verse 43, this is what Jesus said, because what just happened had such a significant impact on him. He had to tell his disciples, in that moment, exactly what happened. In verse 43, he calls his disciples to him and said, I got to tell you about this. Let me tell you the truth. This poor widow, her, you see her right there? Do you know what she just did? That poor widow, she has given more than all the others who are making contributions. And they're like, what? It was two small coins. What are you talking about, Jesus? For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, She has given to God everything she had to live on. Yeah, those people, they put in some big checks. But Jesus says, you know, they gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their surplus. They gave out of their extra. Uh, If we're being honest, they gave out of their leftovers. This woman... She only gave two small coins, but she gave everything she had to live on. And you know what is so amazing to me about the story? Is that Jesus noticed her. And he calls his disciples over to him. They've been with him for almost three years now. And he's like, I got it. Before I go, you got to get this. You got to see this poor lady right here. You see her? This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to go all in with God. This is what it looks like to give. I know you think that's what it looks like to give, but that's not what it looks like to give. This is what it looks like to give. Look at her. She gave everything she had to live on. And when she did that, she communicated something, that, that, that I'm going all in with God, that my faith, my hope, my trust, my confidence, uh, it's, it's got to be in God because I've got nothing left. And I know what you're thinking. It's the same thing I thought. You're thinking, what was she thinking? Like, how was she going to pay for dinner that night? And this probably wouldn't cut it, but if it's all she had, she might have could have gotten something, right? You're thinking, how is she going to pay, pay the rent? Because that's coming due, too, pretty soon, and she's not going to have a place to live if she's given literally all of her money to the church. What, what, how, how is she going to pay the power bill? Because let's be honest, it's hot outside, and we can't afford not to pay the power bill. We have to have the AC on. What is she going to do? Isn't that like one of the biggest reasons that stunts our giving is fear what if what if this happens what will we do what if what if that happens how will we pay for it? we've got to put some money aside for this and we've got to get it pulled back for that and we've got to save for this and and i'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of our money but isn't this one of the things that goes off in our head that stunts us from giving it's that fear what if but this woman she gives all she has And let me ask you this question. Do you think for a moment that that woman went hungry that night? What do you think? 
Do you think for a moment that she wasn't able to pay her rent? Do you think that she wasn't able to pay her bills? You know what the real answer to that question is? Maybe. Maybe. She might have gone hungry that night. She might have had to move out of her home. She might have faced some really hard times. You know why? Because we don't give to God to get. In God's economy, giving isn't transactional. It's never been. And we misunderstand this so often. Giving to God is not transactional. We don't give to God to get. Giving in God's economy, giving is not transactional. It's transformational. She might have gone hungry that night. She might have had to live on the streets. I don't, I don't have a clue. But I'll tell you this, she was never alone. I'll tell you this, God was never far from her. I'll tell you this, God worked it out for her one way or the other, on this side of the grave or the other. God took care of her. God provided for her. And I'll tell you this too, her faith grew. Whenever did, God did come through for her, however he came through for her, because I fully believe he did. Her faith in God grew because of the faith from which she gave. You see, when we give from faith, we grow in faith. But if you give from fear, you'll never grow in your faith. This is why some of us, if we're being honest this morning, if you're just honest with yourself, you're sitting there and you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, maybe even your 70s or 80s or older, and you're thinking, at this point in my life, I thought I would have more faith. At this point in my life, I thought I would be closer to God. I thought I would would have that connection with God. I thought my prayer life would be different. I thought worship would be different. I thought church would be different. I thought I would have more faith. I, I, I thought at this point in my life, like I would know God more and I would feel even more known by God. But for whatever reason, I don't. For whatever reason, if I'm being honest with myself, more often than not, I live life in fear of what might happen instead of from a place of faith that no matter what, God's got me. And I'll tell you what I think one reason for that could be. It could simply be the fact that all throughout your life, you've never given the way this lady gave. You never gave from faith. You always gave from fear. And so God never had an opportunity to leverage your gifts in faith to grow your faith. He never had a chance to show up for you when you had nowhere else to turn because you always had somewhere else to turn. And I'm not suggesting this morning that you need to sign over your entire paycheck to Riverside. What I am suggesting is that Jesus notices people who give in faith. And I don't know about you, But I want to be the kind of person that Jesus notices. I want to live my life in such a way that it is clear to my family, it is clear to my friends, it is clear to my church, and it is clear to the kingdom of heaven that when all is said and done, my hope is in God and God alone. Jesus notices this woman. And it wasn't because of how much she gave. It was because she gave all she had. And heaven took notice of her that day.
And this is the challenge for you and I. Is are we willing to go all in with God? Even when it goes against conventional wisdom. You know what's even more amazing to me? This woman, she came in and at some point she crossed Jesus' line of sight, but you got to believe she also passed by those rich religious people who had just put in large amounts of money. And I wonder, I just wonder, because they were probably in charge of the temple in some capacity or another, and, 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 and it's probable to believe that they probably got rich from, as Jesus said just a few verses before, from shamelessly taking and stealing away the property of widows, either her property or other people just like her. And yet even though she had been taken advantage of, even though she couldn't trust the people or maybe even the institution she was giving to, she still went up to that collection box in the temple that day walked by those religious leaders, some of which may have scammed her. And she gave her money to God. Wow. I can't tell you how many people I know or I've talked to who say they're, they're not going to give to their church or to the church because of some decision somebody made or they don't like this or they don't like that. And I think what Jesus is trying to show us in this moment is that God is way more concerned with the condition of your heart than he is with your opinion of the trustworthiness of the church you give to. And I just want to point that out as a truth that I believe is revealed right here in Mark 12, because that is a struggle for so many of us. If that's become, if that's become the, the test for our giving, we have missed the point. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards and you shouldn't trust your leaders and all that is out there. I get it, but I just want you to see this reality. This woman walked right past these religious leaders who likely had taken her money or had taken the money of people that she knew, people just like her, and she still gave all she had to God. You see, the the simple reality is, is that our financial world and our spiritual world is tightly connected. So what would it look like for you and for me to go all in with God? What would it look like for you to give like you believe the God of the universe would always take care of you? Every Sunday after we do uh, communion, we pass the baskets. We just did that. And almost every Sunday, it didn't happen today, and I laughed when, it, when we forgot, but almost every Sunday, my wife Alicia takes out some, some change or a dollar bill, and like a lot of you, you know, gives it to our kids. And I was thinking about it this week because we do that every Sunday, or almost every Sunday, and when the baskets come around, they know that they have to put that money in the basket, and they have to put all of the money in the basket. They don't get to keep any of it, and we've never really talked about that. We haven't, but everybody understands this is the agreement. We're going to give you a, a dollar or some, some change, and whatever we give you, you don't get to keep any of it. All of that goes to God, and I love that we do that. I love that, first of all, we're trying to teach our kids to give, and I feel a little guilty because like a lot of you, I give online, so it just feels weird. But, you know, I, I'm glad that we're teaching them how to actually put physical money into the physical basket as it comes around. But I also love, even though this has not been on purpose, and maybe it should have been, we're teaching them to give everything. Like, we're going to give you something, but then you give all of that to God. And I wonder if that's not, in a sense, exactly what really should be happening with us every Sunday because God, our Father, gives every one of us all that we have. And when the baskets come around, he's just waiting to see who's going to give it all back to him. Who's going to give? 
Because if you follow the money, you find out where your hope is, where your confidence is, and where your trust is. And what you give communicates something. It communicates something. You know this, right? It's like when I was in college and Alicia and I had been dating for a long time. We both knew that this was hopefully heading somewhere. And so uh, at some point I had saved all the money I had and I went over to the jewelry store and I bought the most expensive engagement ring I could find because I wanted to give that to her and I wanted to make a promise to her. But I also wanted to show her that this is how much I love you or at least as much as I can afford to love you. And uh, I want you to know this is, this is it. Like, 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 I don't care how much it costs. I want to give this to you. And this is going to be a sign of my faith in you, my faith in us, my trust, and my love. Because what you give communicates something. Have you ever received a gift that cost the giver something? Then you know what it means. Whenever you give and it costs you something, it communicates something to the person you're giving it to. So what does your giving communicate to God? Does it communicate your faith is in him? Does it communicate your love for him? Does it communicate your trust in him? Or does it communicate that your faith and your hope and your trust is really elsewhere? I'm beginning to believe that we should, every one of us should give enough, whatever that enough is for us. We should give enough that it communicates to God that I believe at the end of the day, you got me and I trust you. Because when we give all we have to God, we demonstrate and we communicate that all we have is God. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. We're not going to have a tithe your age Sunday. But I think every Sunday, in a sense, should be a tithe your faith Sunday. I think every Sunday when we come to give, we should realize that Jesus is here with us. And that for Jesus, when he thinks about giving, what he thinks about is the cross. Again, I imagine what it must have felt like for Jesus that day to watch people give whatever it was they gave, knowing that he was about to go to the cross and give his life. And for us today, it's a chance to think about what does it look like for us to give to the one who gave it all. Again, one of the things we've started saying around here a lot the last couple of years, and I love this, is that we want to be people of uncommon generosity because we serve a God of uncommon generosity. And you know these words. That idea comes from these words, that God so loved the world that he gave gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. We serve a God of uncommon generosity. And he's calling us to be people of uncommon generosity. And again, the question I want you to ask this week is what does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to give in such a way that it demonstrates your hope, your faith, and your trust in God? Three quick things and then I'll step aside. I want you to think about this week. Number one, why do you give? Remember why you give. It's different for everyone in the room, and that's okay. But I want you to ask yourself, why do you give? And I want you to think about the answer to that question and make sure it lines up with the teaching of Jesus. 
Number two, I, I would encourage you to consider to automate what's important. In our family, all the big bills, they're automatic. We've set it all up online. It's all automated because we automate what's important. What does it communicate to God when you automate your giving? Automate what's important. And last, celebrate what God does. Because I'll tell you this, when you give to God in such a way that it demonstrates that your hope and your faith and your confidence is in him, he's going to come through for you in some way, and it's going to be amazing when he does. You're going to have one of these stories, I'll call them only God stories. They're the stories that happen in your life because only God could have done that. We, don't know, we can't explain it any other way. And when that happens for you, celebrate that. I kind of have a feeling, Mark didn't tell us this, and I could be way off, but I have a feeling that night when that lady got home, I bet her neighbor knocked on her door. And said, honey, I just made dinner, and we got plenty. Would you come join us? And can you imagine the praise in her heart as she worshiped God for taking care of her, for giving to her because she had given everything she had to him? Whatever the case, my prayer is that all of us would learn to be people of uncommon generosity because we serve a God who is awesome. Let's sing.